Hey, RareCast listeners. Rare in the Square brings together rare disease innovators each year to forge partnerships and advance innovation. The event takes place in conjunction with the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference and the Biotech Showcase. The annual financial conference is held in San Francisco that kick off the new year in biotech. While both of those events have gone virtual in 2021 because of the pandemic, Global Genes is partnering with the Biotech Showcase to create Rare Beyond the Square this year to highlight rare disease progress and innovation, share information, and facilitate partnering and networking among companies, investors, and rare disease communities. Tune into Rare Beyond the Square, January 11th through the 14th, 2021. You can register at globalgenes.org under the Events tab. Thanks. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Orchard Therapeutics founder and former chief scientific officer Bobby Gasper took the helm of the gene therapy company in March to replace CEO Mark Rothera when he stepped down. Since taking over, Gasper has led a restructuring of the company and narrowed the focus to prioritize what it saw as high-value programs, including its gene therapy for metachromatic leukodystrophy, a rare and life-threatening inherited disease of the body's metabolic system. We spoke to Gasper about the company's sharpened focus, its gene therapy and development for metachromatic leukodystrophy, and where he sees the greatest opportunities for Orchard going forward. Bobby, thanks for joining us. Oh, well, it's great to uh, great to be able to talk to you. We're going to talk about metachromatic leukodystrophy, Orchard's gene therapy for this indication, and its plans going forward. But before we do that, I'd, I'd like to start with changes you've put into place since taking over as CEO in March. Uh, you replaced Mark Rothera and, and since narrowed the rare disease focus, you closed your California facility and discontinued plans for construction of a gene manufacturing facility there. Why those changes and, and how did it shift the vision of what Orchard was seeking to do? Well, thank you. And um, yeah, it's uh, so maybe just a little bit before uh, about my kind of background and involvement in Orchard before we get to that particular point. Um, I'm, you know, I'm an academic physician by training. I've been involved in the hematopoietic stem cell gene therapy space for over 25 years. And uh, my work in the academic and clinical space uh, was one of the um, reasons for founding Orchard. And so I'm one of the founders uh, of Orchard. And so I initially stepped into the uh, company uh, from my academic and clinical role as CSO, and then took over, as you say, in March this year as CEO. And I think, you know, the word I would use in terms of the changes that we made were are really about focus. Uh, so the first thing is that the focus continues to be about hematopoietic stem cell gene therapy. So that is the platform approach that we're using uh, across 
uh, the company because we've been able to see what a, uh, an impact that it has uh, on, uh, on patients. And so we want to develop hematopoietic stem cell gene therapy in its widest sense, both for rare diseases and also for larger indications as well. And I think, you know, uh, as I say, when I talk about focus, uh, we had an, almost an abundance of riches with many programs in uh, late stage clinical development in proof of concept studies, uh, et cetera. And it was, you know, it was a large number of programs all advancing uh, together at the same time. And so with the resources required to do all of that, you know, simultaneously, I think we felt that we needed to have more focus and emphasis so that we could uh, concentrate on fewer things and do them better. And so we chose to focus on neurometabolic disorders where like MLD, where we felt that the HSC gene therapy approach really had a unique ability to make a, a, a difference and some uh, uh, specific primary immune deficiencies. Uh, that isn't to say that the other programs aren't also uh, valuable, but it's about what we um, uh, focus on at this point in time, and then there can be sequencing of other programs over time. The other, I think the other thing to say is that we felt, and I have felt that the HSC gene therapy approach has an awful lot to offer, not just in rare diseases. So it's not that we're going away from rare diseases, it's focusing on certain rare diseases, but also looking for the future and uh, using HSCG therapy for, for larger indications uh, as well. And then the final point you make about manufacturing, I think was really about the fact that we didn't need to have our own in-house manufacturing at this particular moment uh, in time. And we chose in fact to uh, use that uh, expenditure on building CDMO relationships and also uh, investing in manufacturing innovations, which could have a long-term benefit for the company, not only in rare disease, but also larger indications as well. And so that's where we chose to focus our emphasis uh, on manufacturing at this point in time. And again, you know, in the future, we may build out our own in-house manufacturing facility, but I think you know, that will be at a point when we, we, we need that in-house manufacturing. As you work through these types of decisions, uh, how much of an issue were the economic viability of ultra-rare indications and the responsibilities of now being a public company? Well, I think we've always felt, you know, and when we started the company, it's always been the premise that, you know, we would start off with rare indications. And that is because, you know, they have such tremendous value for patients uh, because of the impact they can make, the kind of durability of response uh, that we've seen across not just one indication, but multiple indications. And we've always felt that actually, uh, with rare diseases, there's a portfolio of rare diseases that we together will form uh, commercially a very uh, valuable uh, company. But it's also kind of using that knowledge to go into larger indications uh, over a mid and uh, longer term uh, future. We've learned a lot from ultra rare conditions. Uh, Strumbellus, uh, which wasn't you know, uh, a huge commercial success, but nevertheless taught us about um, uh, about treating patients with HSC gene therapy, bringing patients to a uh, specific, uh, specific center to access uh, gene therapy. But, you know, to a certain extent, because it was only available at one center, uh, it, uh, you know, it had limit, uh, uh, a lower commercial uh, prospect, but all our future programs will be with a cryopreserved formulation where patients can be treated uh, more locally and will allow much greater access. 
part of the changes you instituted included the prioritization of development of OTL 200, which is now known as Lameldi. This is a, a gene therapy for early onset metachromatic leukodystrophy. What is metachromatic leukodystrophy? Yeah, well, this is a, I mean, this is really a, a devastating disease. It's a, a very severe neurodegenerative uh, condition. Uh, essentially, children are born norm, children with MLD are born normally, but in the severe forms of the disease after the first year or so of life, they really start to lose uh, skills. So they lose the ability uh, to walk, to move, uh, to talk and to interact with their families. And then it's just a downhill kind of slope from there. And unfortunately, you know, many of these children will die in the first decade uh, of life. Um, the only options available for the most severe forms of the disease are really palliative care as an option. And, you know, and it's a terrible toll for families as well who see their uh, kids uh, slip away. And it's caused by a single gene mutation, uh, which leads to the absence of an enzyme, which leads to the buildup of certain substrates in uh, nerve cells which cause, and brain cells, which cause them to generate. Uh, how is the condition diagnosed today? Oh, well, it's, uh, it's really in two ways. Where there's no family history, uh, it's when children start to lose those skills that I talked about. So if they start to um, you know, stop walking or become clumsy, uh, or in a, at a, even at a younger age, stop sitting and being able to move independently, or they start to lose their, their speech, some children can have seizures. So those are the kind of problems that you have to spot very early in order to diagnose uh, MLD. Uh, the, then the diagnosis is made through a biochemical test or a, or a genetic test. And then the other way is when there is a, a family member who's affected, and then you look at the younger siblings in that family, and hopefully you can catch them, uh, make the diagnosis before the disease has started to have a hold. Uh, what exactly is Lameldi and how does it work? Well, Lameldi is this hematopoietic or blood stem cell gene therapy that can be used to treat the disease. And it, it, this is a really, a, it's an extraordinary treatment. So essentially what we're doing is we're taking blood stem cells from the child, we introduce into those cells using a lentivirus vector, a working copy of the gene. Uh, in fact, we try and overexpress uh, the gene. These gene-modified cells are then given back intravenously to the patient. And then a subpopulation of these HSCs, these blood stem cells, these gene-modified uh, blood stem cells, have the ability to cross the blood-brain barrier. They naturally cross the blood-brain barrier they engraft in the brain as specialized cells called microglia, and then they express that, that therapeutic gene, which is then taken up by neurons and prevents the accumulation of substrates and stops the degeneration of those neurons. So we get the, uh, the blood stem cells to cross the blood-brain barrier and to, uh, to deliver the gene in the brain and to stop that terrible neuro, uh, neuronal degeneration. I take it because this is the patient's own cells, there's no need to knock out the immune system to, to dose the patient? So we use conditioning that you're absolutely, it is, it is the own patient's own cell. So one aspect of that is that they can't be rejected uh, and they don't cause harm because it's the patient's own cells. We do have to make space for the incoming gene modified cells. And especially we have to give some conditioning which depletes resident abnormal microglia in the brain. 
And that opens up a niche or space for the new cells to actually engraft. So it is associated with a, with a conditioning procedure, which then allows those uh, new gene-modified cells to engraft and embed in the brain. What does it take to condition a patient? It's, uh, it's, a, it's a, a chemotherapy agent called busulfan, and it's given over four days. It means that once the gene-modified cells are given back to the patient, uh, they do have some uh, sickness, they, uh, their blood cells go down, but then after about three weeks, uh, they recover and are then able to go home. So it is, it is well tolerated by patients. What's known about Lamelde from studies to date? Well, to date, uh, and there's an extensive body of uh, experience now in the clinical setting for such an ultra rare condition. So uh, the data package that we took to the uh, EMA was on 36 patients, uh, the first of whom um, had been treated uh, eight years ago and more. So, you know, that's the kind of durability of this once-off uh, treatment. And so in that, uh, in that uh, body of experience, we were able to show that the majority of patients, uh, when compared to the natural history, i.e. untreated patients, we, they were able to preserve motor function and also uh, cognitive or learning function as well. This is not a, a viral vector that you're using. If you needed to down the road, could you redose these patients? It's not a viral vector. It is actually, um, so what we do is we take the patient's own cells and we do use a viral vector to introduce the gene into the patient cells. But the, the proteins of the virus are not on the surface of the cells. They're, it's all inside. So when the cells go back, they look like their own cells. So that's why you don't get an immune reaction to those cells. Now, there is the possibility to, um, to redose with more gene-modified cells, but in uh, MLD, where the condition deteriorates quite rapidly, it's, it would be quite unusual to have to redose a, a patient. So you want to make sure that that first dose you know, is the sufficient numbers of cells uh, and has the right level of gene correction to have an impact straight away. In October, the EMA's Committee for Medicinal Products for Human Use issued a positive recommendation for marketing authorization. What's the path forward? Yeah, no, we were delighted with that. Um, uh, as you can imagine, for this condition where there's no treatments available, it's a huge uh, step forward for patients, for their families, and obviously for Orchard as a, as a company. And also importantly, the, um, uh, the EMA issued a positive opinion uh, recommending a full marketing authorization, which I think speaks to the, uh, to the strength of the data that was provided. Uh, the next step is that the um, European Commission will formally uh, approve or potentially they will approve that. So that's the next step that uh, we go through. And usually that's a kind of, um, a, a kind of almost a ratification of the, uh, of the positive uh, opinion. And we're waiting for that to come before the end of the year. Once we have that, then the, uh, the product is fully approved, and then we can actually start to treat patients in, your, in the EU next year. What's the path forward in the United States? So in the US, again, where we, because we want this to be global, we want to be able to treat patients in the US and eventually elsewhere, we filed an IND for uh, MLD, and that IND is open. We've also filed for RMAT designation as well. And through the IND and with RMAT designation, this will allow us to have a, uh, an interactive dialogue with the FDA where we can show them the data that we already have 
and talk to them about a path to a BLA for MLD. One of the challenges gene therapy companies are wrestling with is the need for a long-term follow-up. What are those challenges like for you and how are you addressing them? Yeah, so the long-term follow-up, so for gene therapy, because you know it is an innovative therapy, the regulators are asking for long-term follow-up studies. And we already have quite a lot of experience with this because remember, Stromvelis has been uh, approved and we have long-term follow-up studies for uh, Stromvelis. And we will be doing that for Libmaldi and our future products uh, as well. And we're looking at how uh, best to conduct those studies, you know, uh, with long-term studies, especially when you're having to follow patients up for 15 years or so, you want to make, make it as kind of minimally in interventionist as possible. So we're looking at what is the kind of minimum set of data that you need to collect over that kind of time period. Have you learned anything from the experience with Stromvelis on, on how to go about that? It, we have, we have. We've learned a, a lot about what is, you know, kind of absolutely required uh, for patients. What are the kind of tests that need to be done? Can those tests be done at remote centers rather than having to go to uh, the specific uh, treatment sites? And so we'll use those learnings for future follow-up studies. In terms of the long-term data you track is... What kind of interest do payers show in that? So for um, so as far as payers are concerned, one of the things that we are talking to about is the durability of HSC gene therapy. So remember, when we give gene-modified hematopoietic stem cells, they have the ability, these HSCs have the ability to self-renew. And also, because the way we insert the gene uh, using viral vectors, lentiviral vectors, the gene is integrated into the genome of the target cell. So that means with every cell division, whether it's self-renewal or when these cells are differentiating into other cell types, that genetic information is passed on. So there's no dilution of the therapeutic gene. And that's why with a once-off administration of gene-modified cells, we can see a, a long-term and durable effect. And we've seen that, as I say, in the Malti, where the first patients were treated eight years ago and more, in other programs as well, where patients were treated you know, 10 years uh, ago. And we've seen the sustained effect of that once-off administration. Now that gives us great confidence that the effect is durable and does not diminish in any way. And when we go to payers, we can go with confidence to say that you know, this once-off administration will have this kind of uh, long-term effect. And so that allows us to uh, have reimbursement models where we can stand behind a, a payment over a certain period of time, either an annuity payment or a payment for performance, et cetera. Or if, pay, if payers would like, uh, they can make an upfront uh, payment. While you've had Stromvelis as a commercial product, what steps have you had to take to ramp up your commercial organization? So for... Um, for uh, Libmeldi, we are we have our commercial infrastructure in place, and we're build, building it up over time. So, we are looking at um, what we have is we're going to qualify, or we are in the process of accrediting certain um, qualified treatment centres. So, these will be specialist treatment centres, and they will be in Italy, in Germany, in uh, France, in the Netherlands, and in the UK. And so, from uh, different parts of Europe patients can travel to those centers. And these are the centers where the patients will be, where the cells will be taken. The cells are then shipped to a central manufacturing site 
in Milan, where they are uh, corrected, uh, cryopreserved, quality controlled, and then shipped back to the treatment centers for uh, infusion uh, into patients. So that's the kind of physical infrastructure that is being developed for the treatment of patients. In addition to that, we are working with reimbursement agencies, uh, reimbursement agencies in the major markets in Europe. So again, Germany, Italy, France, uh, the UK, uh, to ensure that we can as soon as possible get reimbursed uh, access. And then the other thing that we're doing is we are working on diagnostic uh, strategies so that physicians uh, and, and uh, primary physicians are aware of the disease. So this is you know, the most important thing that we want to get to patients uh, at a very early stage in the disease because that's when they derive the best benefit from uh, living all these. So we have disease awareness uh, initiatives, uh, diagnostic and testing initiatives, and also very importantly for the kind of midterm uh, and beyond future, uh, we, have, we are looking at newborn, uh, newborn screening so that we can actually identify uh, babies uh, at birth with MLD so they can uh, be treated early and have the best outcome through uh, LibMLD. So in fact, there are pilots for MLD newborn screening uh, due to start very soon in Germany and Italy. And we're also working on pilots in other EU countries as well, as well as in the US for in preparation for bringing uh, this treatment for MLD to the United States. As you think about the pipeline behind that, where do you see the biggest opportunities and, and how do you think about prioritizing your, your indications? Yeah, I, as I said, I, I think at the beginning, you know, we believe that you know, this approach has the ability, the HSE gene therapy approach has the ability to treat a large number of diseases, both in the rare disease space, but also in larger indications uh, as well. So what we want to do in the near to medium term is to, because there has been uh, you know, advanced clinical development is really executed, and deliver in the rare diseases. So in MLD, in Wiscott-Ori syndrome, we have programs in MPS1, uh, Hurler syndrome, and MPS3A, which is San Filippo syndrome. And to really, by doing that in the rare disease space, build up our capabilities and expertise in getting regulatory approvals, in manufacturing at commercial grade, in the uh, supply chain, uh, and also ensuring that we can build up the commercial infrastructure to commercialize these, um, uh, these programs. And that in itself will bring significant value. In the meantime, uh, during this, we, in the research laboratories, we are conducting preclinical studies on HSC gene, HSC gene therapy for larger indications, for larger forms of neurodegeneration uh, and dementia, and also for certain uh, forms of Crohn's disease as well, which again affect large numbers of individuals. So that we can develop those and then over the mid to long term, we can bring those into the clinic uh, so that HSCG therapy can be used for larger indications and again, create greater value uh, for Orchard. Bobby Gaspar, CEO of Orchard Therapeutics. Bobby, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you very much, Daniel. Thank Pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. 
The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com. <laughs>